But when we think we know what other people should do, we lose ourselves. We lose our connectedness to each other. And that is something worth remembering. Hi team, and welcome to the Sustainably LB podcast. I'm your host, LB. From a young age, I've always been in awe of the natural world, the fashion industry, and what lies beyond the veil. It wasn't until recently that I was able to put these elements into context and begin to understand how it is all beautifully interconnected, how what I felt in my childhood, this thread of connectedness and intrigue, was a calling to something far greater than I could have ever imagined. The Sustainably LB podcast brings all of those elements together, and I'm so glad you're here. In this week's episode of the Sustainably LB podcast, I, LB, will be having a solo episode discussing why we feel the need to fix people. So let's get to it. I believe that we feel the need to fix people because we have forgotten how interconnected we all are. There is no denying that we, in what is considered the quote-unquote developed world, are a culture of overconsumption, materialism, and convenience with an acute affinity for othering and a hyper-focus on fixing people. This especially is poignant given the time of year when we are bombarded with ads for things that we don't need and the, I guess, intrinsic need that that we've been conditioned to adhere to when it comes to shopping for the holidays and getting people that, that perfect gift, which isn't necessarily bad, but when people don't line up with this binary that we hold for like ourselves, we start to other them and attempt to fix them because we see them as defective. And that kind of comes back to this consumerism thing where we feel like if we can get stuff, we can buy stuff for ourselves or we can buy stuff for people. We are filling that kind of gap. And, you know, arguably at times this want to fix comes from a compassionate place. But the crux of the matter is, as author Laura McCohen puts it, we pretend to know what other people should do. And that and, and we apply that to such a broad scope. So here's my thing. As an oddity in the society I grew up in, I often fell into the category of needing to be fixed across several scopes. Mainly, I was and very much still am a deep feeling individual with a penchant for the whimsical and esoteric and programmed with this kind of baseline of depression. And thankfully, my perceived societal flaws could be tucked away or in my teenage years, I kind of buried them with drugs and alcohol, particularly alcohol, because I didn't, I didn't know how else to, to express myself and to find value in that difference. And perhaps it should go without saying, but these less than societally endearing qualities are a privilege because I 
could keep them relatively hidden in order to like fit in, right? To survive those kind of formative teenage years and honestly in my 20s. So it wasn't until recently that I was able to shine my own light into my own darkness to uncover what I had buried. And a lot of that stems around my my empathy, but also my sexuality as I identify as a pansexual, which I never had the words for up until a few years ago. And me, that's just kind of falling in love with someone's soul, whatever their gender expression is. But that's a topic for another day. So when we as a society start to other people, it turns into this us versus them way of thinking about our connections and relationships. We tend to ostracize specific individuals or groups resulting in them being seen as less than worthy of dignity and respect. This often precedes this need to fix these quote-unquote others. Now, let's, let's be absolutely clear. We don't need to fix people. We need to support them. And often this need to fix, well, it spans a lot of scopes, but this needs, this need to fix people, it can be translated into seeing potential, like in relationships, typically romantic relationships. A lot of women do this. We see this underlying potential in the more masculine counterpart. And then we attach to, to that, to that distant vision of what we think the other person can be. Now that that's more, that's a little more benign than the fixing, particularly, I guess that I'm talking about, but it is still in that scope of fixing people. And again, it really it comes, it typically comes from this place of support. It's not always malicious, but it can be. <laughs> so here's here's a fun little anecdote kind of about the need to fix people. Do you remember my millennial friends? You probably will. Uh, this was a big part of our youth, but do you remember when the iPhone came out and there were these commercials with brightly colored backgrounds and like the song of the day. I think there was a Fran Ferdinand song in there for sure, but there were these black like shadow-esque figures of one or more people like jiving to this typically like indie song, right? They're, they're really targeting a demographic there. And with those commercials like vivid, vividly etched into our brains, there came this concept of apps and the marketing behind that was there's an app for that. Now in a much, much less fun having way that has been replaced with there's a pill for that. Now I'm not, I'm not a doctor nor am I against medication, but I am against this overprescribing of America. I'm not against SSRIs either that particularly focus on more of the psychological aspects of depression or what people call abnormal psychology with SSRIs, which are selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors or prescription drugs that help 
balance these serotonin levels or aid in neurotransmission, there are very much reasons that some drugs exist, obviously. But again, this overdosing of America needs to be addressed because people don't need to be fixed with drugs all the time. I think it takes looking at at these, I don't want to say deficiencies, but these quote-unquote other qualities that don't fall in line with this kind of binary, with the lens that we view a productive human. So here's the tea on prescription drugs. The United States and New Zealand are the only two countries in the world that allow for direct-to-consumer advertising, whether that is through a commercial or an advertisement in a magazine or newspaper or even online in banner ads and things like that. New Zealand and the U.S. are the only two countries in the world. And that and that's out of, typically we see 197-ish countries, that's debatable, but out of almost 200 countries in the world, United States and New Zealand are the only two. That blew my mind. And it might go without saying, but drug marketing is so lucrative. I mean, marketing in general is, obviously, but drug marketing is insane. Um, For example, I made so much more money as a content writer than as a journalist. And I would argue that a lot more goes into a journalistic piece over a commercial use piece. But that's kind of neither here nor there. It just kind of gives you the scope on how much advertising dollars there are available. I mean, ad budgets are absolutely insane and it doesn't really matter the industry you're looking at, right? Like ad spend is crazy. Here's the really kind of nefarious part behind prescription drug advertising. There's so much false advertising. That's the crux of it. Drug companies are willing and able to spend just, like I said, insane amounts of money to offer an ever so easy solution to an actual or perceived health issue. I mean, honestly, have you ever watched a commercial and thought, hmm, you know what? Yeah, I'm sad. I have trouble getting up in the morning. This drug is clearly meant for someone like me. This circumvents the actual route someone should be taking when considering a drug to solve a problem. Now, let's say that a drug worked for very few people in lab tests. Would you want to know that? Like, would that affect your decision if the drug worked way less than 50% of the time? I mean, who's to say? But drug ads don't have to disclose that information. They don't have to disclose much of anything, like if there are alternative treatments or if the drug is absolutely necessary or if there are other paths to achieve the same result, such as a lifestyle shift. And that's where the notion of sustainability really comes in here because I believe, you know, when you do one thing, it's kind of like how you do everything. And when you show up in a way for yourself that isn't sustainable, like for instance, the breakneck speed of how we work, you know, a 40 hour work week isn't just a 40 hour work week. Number one, the the notion of 40 hour work weeks is archaic. And while we should definitely be acknowledging the unions and the workers that got us here, because there was way more than 40 hour work weeks in the not so distant past, but 
still 40 hours is unsustainable. And you can talk to so many, so many people that say, you know, yeah, I work well over 40 hours a week, particularly when it comes to marketing and and you're not, you're not reimbursed. There's no time and a half. You're expected to work 40 hours as this baseline. So what about that kind of lifestyle shift? turning the phone off, turning your emails off when you clock out at five, there's, I mean, that could be for some quiet quitting, you know, I, my 40 hours is done. I'm done. Like I'm not going above and beyond because there's, there's nothing after that above and beyond. You are the one giving your time, energy, all of that to something that's not reciprocating and it's only draining. So for me, very much where sustainability comes into play here, it is not sustainable to work a breakneck speed and then to think that your lifestyle is, it isn't contributing to your mental and physical health. I had, uh, when I was in San Francisco, I was very much, um, and I wasn't in a good place. I was, I was getting migraines almost weekly. So I went to the neurologist and she essentially told me that my work-life balance was the reason for my migraines. And this was at 35, that I was burning myself out at 35 years old because I, I could not draw healthy boundaries for myself for work. I was working from home and I would essentially... I would work 10 hours a day and not think anything of it. So back to the drug use, (laughs) the FDA does not and logistically cannot approve these prescription drug ads in advance. I mean, okay, they could if there were laws that at the very least required the screening of the ads before they blasted into millions of American eyeballs, like unwittingly like we're not this isn't consensual you know like if we were signing up to like get these drug ads and stuff like that then then that's consensual but it's not consensual when we're watching a sporting event or something like that we see these ads and we didn't sign up for to see these ads you know essentially the fda sees these drug ads only after the general public does And the ads are submitted and reviewed while they're still on air. And it could take so much time for the FDA to even find if there are any inaccuracies in the ads because they have to conduct their independent reviews. And then if if inaccuracies are found, it takes a long time for them to even be corrected. Sometimes years. The biggest takeaway for prescription drugs is that it's all advertising. They want you to buy their product no matter if it's going to fix you or if it's going to harm you. They they do not care if it is a drug that you actual, actually need or not. It's, it's simply another brand trying to sell you a product. And in many cases, for these SSRIs and these drugs that are focused at fixing you, they alter... These are products that alter your body's chemical makeup. And the prospect of altering your body's chemical makeup without much proper procedure should be fucking terrifying. Like this is this is only one example of how we try to fix people. Like it it's very siloed when I'm speaking of drugs because 
there are so many other instances that are far more egregious than just taking a drug because they are directed at others instead of looking for a quick fix for oneself. Let me say that again to try to like really bring this in. The drugs and the overprescribing of America is just one facet of this othering because the other ways that we other people are so much more egregious. So subjects like gay conversion therapy, anti-trans bills, covert and overt racism, abortion bans, concentration and internment camps, ableism, what is currently happening in Ukraine and Palestine and Iran. The list goes on and on and on. And it is exhaustive the way that we other people. And it has become horrific in nature how polarizing othering can be. It is terrifying to me and it should be terrifying to everyone the way that we treat people just because they are seemingly, I say this with air quotation marks, they are seemingly different than we are because they're not. We're all the same. I don't know how else to say that. I don't know how else to lead with love. I don't know how to encourage someone to see beyond their own bias, but we are all the same. I I don't know how to help someone lead with love. And that, I mean, and that's kind of, I guess, why the podcast and talking about it is so important. I mean, when there is discussion without the other side being represented, and it's a hateful discussion that leads to terrorist acts. We don't say it, but it is terrorism for someone to go into a nightclub that is a, that is a gay nightclub and kill the patrons. That's terrorism. Doing the same thing in a supermarket that is predominantly black individuals that's terrorism. Going to a church, a synagogue, a mosque, and killing those people, that's terrorism. When you are targeting a group because of your hate, that's terrorism. It's not only things like flying planes into buildings. And we need to recognize that. And it is because of this othering of people. It's because that we think we should know how they need to be how they need to show up. It's their lives. They get to do whatever the fuck they want with it. You know, we need the only person that we should be concerned about healing. And I don't want to use the word fixing because we don't need to be fixed. My depression doesn't need to be fixed. It needs to be addressed, but that's my job. You know, that's no one else's job. Maybe my therapist, me and my therapist. That's between me and my therapist. But we do not get to decide how other people should act. We do not know them. And so this fixing people either with prescription drugs, which do have a place, but let's not go there first. The people that we need to fix are the ones that have so much hate in their heart. That's where we need to fix people. That's where we need to start. And I'm sure that you have so many examples of how hate shows up. I hope that you haven't witnessed it, but I know you have. I've said it a bunch of times in this episode, but the desire to fix people doesn't always come from a malicious place. But when we think 
we know what other people should do, we lose ourselves. We lose our connectedness to each other and that is something worth remembering. Thank you so much as always for listening to the podcast. I am so appreciative of you. This is my last one before I take a break for the holidays and I will be back the new year with some amazing guests and topics. I can't wait to share them with you, but I am feeling so called to kind of step back. We have had, we have all had a very rough few years and this isn't about crossing the finish line strong. Like we're at the finish line. We have been strong all year. This is not a sporting event. This is, this is our lives. We need to take this time to rest. And that is so much about what I think and feel about what sustainability is. It's uh, honoring yourself. It's leading with love and compassion for yourself, the planet, your community, your fellow humans. Man, I, that is what I wish for people this holiday season and always. I wish for more love. I wish that the people that have control over the media would settle the fuck down and lead with love and let's talk about how we're all interconnected and stop othering people stop medicating away the pain whether that really is a medication a prescription or if we are dousing our feelings with drugs and alcohol you can find me on instagram and see a little bit more about sustainably lb swap omaha and my personal journey i'll be sharing a little bit but really let's take time off this holiday season to connect with people that we love to connect with ourselves and to finish this year softly with compassion with kindness i love you guys so so much thanks again for being here And remember, together, we will unfuck this. Bye.